Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's people that agreed with that real loud said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Let's open our Bibles today to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. How many of you know that we are living in the end times? We're living in the last days. Uh, Perhaps two of the greatest signs, you know, the word of God gives us signs as to, as the end days approach. And there are many of them. But perhaps the two greatest signs that, that I've seen in scripture which are just absolutely undeniable is, is Jesus mentioned that you would see great earthquakes in diverse places. Now, how many of you know we've, we've seen that, haven't we? We've seen that in recent, in recent years and days. And then the next one is, is even more profound perhaps than that. It, it was given to Daniel and he talked about in the latter times that knowledge would be increased. Now, there's no way to deny that knowledge has been increased in this day and this hour in which we live. I mean, just, you know, well, 6,000 years essentially goes by and, and at the end of that time, we're still using smoke signals essentially. And in the last 100 years and even in the last, you know, decade or so, now you have a cell phone, you don't need smoke signals anymore, is that right? You have a cell phone that can, you know, you can talk around the world, is that correct? And, and not only that, with the internet, you can send pictures and, and uh, you know, something can happen here in Fenton and they can know about it in India in a matter of seconds, is that correct? You know, t- not to mention television and aviation and all of that. Uh, you know, there was a day, you know, to get from here to California, you'd be taking a covered wagon. Is that right? And now you can take a jet. So just in the last, you know, hundred years, knowledge, would you agree with me? Knowledge has been increased. And, and, and Daniel said, or the, the spirit of God said to him that in the latter times you would see that. So we're living in the last days. Now notice here in Second Thessalonians chapter two and verse one. Second Thessalonians chapter two and verse one. Now, brethren, now, brethren, the apostle Paul is writing here under the unction of the Spirit of God. He says, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him. The coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him. This verse mentions two great events that lay just out in front of us. Two great events that lay just out in front of us. The, one is the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, which would be known as the second coming of the Lord. How many of you know he came the first time 2,000 years ago, approximately, born of a virgin, in Bethlehem, is that right? Now he's coming again in the future and that's known as the second coming and this verse alludes to that concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and then a second event and our gathering together to him. Now the second coming, and it's important that you don't get those two events 
confused because a lot of people do. There's two separate events. As I, as I study scripture, there's two separate events. There's the coming or the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and another event, our gathering together unto him. Now, the second coming of the Lord Jesus will take place at the conclusion of what is known as the great tribulation period, which will last upon the earth for seven years. Jesus will return from heaven at that time, at the end of the tribulation, the end of the seven-year tribulation period. He will return from heaven riding on a white horse and all of his saints will come with him. At that time, his feet will come to rest upon the holy mount in Israel. He will wage war against the Antichrist and his armies and Jesus will utterly defeat them. However, see that happens at the end of the tribulation period. However, just prior to the beginning of the seven-year tribulation period upon the earth, there is another event where the Lord Jesus comes to earth, but this time his feet do not touch the earth, but rather he comes in the air to catch his saints up to heaven. So I'm titling this message today, Up, Up, and Away. Real loud, say up, up, and away. away. One more time, up, up, and away. away. Yeah, the great event where Jesus comes in the air to take his saints to heaven is known as the rapture of the church. The rapture of the church, which takes place just prior to the beginning of the seven-year tribulation period. Then there's seven years tribulation. At the end of the tribulation period is when Jesus comes in what is known as the second coming and sets his feet upon the Mount of Olives there, you know, in Jerusalem. Second coming, he actually sets his feet on the earth. That happens at the end of the tribulation. But just prior to the tribulation is when he comes in what is known as the rapture of the church. His feet do not touch the ground, but he comes in the air and he catches the saints up into heaven. Well, the word rapture, it's taken from the Greek word rapio, which means to be caught up. And this word, I understand, is not found in Scripture, but the event is clearly there. So I want to look at this morning, among other things, I want to talk about the rapture of the church. Up, up, and away. Notice Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. Turn there, if you would. Let's see this, even though the word rapture itself, rapio, is not in scripture, the event is clearly there. And so scholars over the years have attached that word to it, the rapture of the church, where the church is caught up in the heaven. How many of you know that that there's been other raptures? Hasn't hasn't there been other raptures? Uh, I believe there was a man, his name, remember his name was Enoch. He had a testimony that he pleased God. Is that right? And God took him, caught him up. Is that right? There was another man by the name of Elijah. Remember Elijah? And the whirlwind came and he was caught up into heaven. Is that correct? How many of you know after Jesus was raised from the dead, was he not caught up, you know, in the process of time? You know, he was raised from the dead, ascended into heaven and all of that, you know. And, but before he was seated at the right hand of the Father, he ministered on the earth then some days after he was raised from the dead. Is that correct? And then at the end of that period, remember his disciples saw him. He, he, he went up on a cloud, didn't he? 
on into heaven. Is that right? And then the angels stood there and said to the disciples, said to the apostles, why, you men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, realize I say this same Jesus, yeah, this same Jesus who's, who's taken up from you today will so come in like manner. How many of you know Jesus is coming again? But there's been other people that have been caught up or raptured prior. See, Jesus, when he was taken up, that, that's, a, that's a rapture. He was taken up to be seated at the right hand of the Father. How many of you know he's still seated there today? Is that right? And he's waiting at this point. Do you know what he's doing at the right hand of the Father? He ever lives to make intercession. He's praying for us. Isn't that wonderful to know Jesus praying for us? Is that right? And, and at some point, he's going to come back to the earth to catch us up unto himself. So let's look at some scripture along these lines. Revelation 4 verse 1. After these things. After these things. Now, what chapter are we in right here? We're in chapter what? Chapter 4. So in the book of Revelation, you have chapter 1, which is sort of an introductory chapter. And then, uh, you know, you have chapters 2 and 3. And in chapters 2 and 3, you've got seven churches mentioned there. And, and so chapters 2 and 3 of the book of Revelation have to do with the church age. Uh, we're living in that time right now. We're part of the church as members of the body of Christ. So we're part of the church age and we're in that time right now. But notice here in Revelation 4, after we move out of chapter 3 into chapter 4, verse 1, after these things. He just got done talking about the church, the churches. So after the church age, notice John says, I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a what? Was like a trumpet speaking with me saying, saying what? Saying, come up here, up, up and away, come up here. So John was caught up into heaven, wasn't he? And I'll show you things which must take place after this. And so John being a type of the church here at the conclusion of the church age after chapter 3, we see chapter 4 verse 1, he's caught up into heaven. And he sees many things, don't have time to get into all those at this time. It is interesting to note that once, you see in chapters 2 and 3 you have the church upon the earth. Once you move to chapter 4 verse 1, the church is caught up. You don't see the church on earth again in the book of Revelation until the end of the tribulation period when Jesus comes back riding on a white horse, we come back riding with him, get you some horse riding lessons. Can you say amen? Because you're going to need them. Now if you'd go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 13, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 13, the apostle Paul is writing to the church in Thessalonica. Because you see, they had thought through some false teaching that Jesus had already come. And they were concerned about their loved ones who had already died. Who had already died. And they were concerned that their loved ones were going to miss this rapture of the church. And so Paul, the Holy Spirit through Paul, writes to the church in Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. He says, but I do not want you to be ignorant or unlearned, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. Now that's not talking about some church members who fall asleep in church. He's, ta <laughs> He's talking about those who have already died. 
those who have already died. He says, I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have already died, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, how many of you believe that here today, that he died, rose again? I do. Even so, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. That means those who have already died. You got that? Or do you have that? You see that? So if we believe that Jesus died, rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus, those who have already died. Let's just stop right here and let me throw this in. When a Christian dies... When a Christian dies, somebody that's repented of their sins, placed their faith in the Lord Jesus, when a Christian dies, their spirit leaves their body, of course. That's what physical death is when the spirit leaves the body. The body is buried, you know, but the spirit goes to heaven. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, the Bible says. When a Christian dies, things get better. I said they get better. I said they get better. No reason for a Christian to fear death because when a Christian dies, things get better. Their spirit leaves their body. Their body goes up into heaven. Their their body is buried. Their spirit, where does their spirit go? Up into heaven. What happens when a Christian dies? Their spirit leaves their body. Their body is buried, you know. But where does their spirit go? Their spirit goes up to heaven to be with the Lord. Paul said, having desired to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Paul said, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. How come, why is that? Because to go to heaven, I mean, heaven's a beautiful place, isn't it? So when a Christian dies, their spirit, of course, leaves their body. That's why they're dead. Their body's dead. Their body is buried. Is that right? Do you have that? Do you understand that? Where does their spirit go? To heaven. Are you okay? To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Are you Okay. What about a sinner when they die? The Bible's very clear. When a sinner dies, what, are you, what am I talking about? Somebody that doesn't know Jesus. Somebody that's never repented of their sins. Somebody that's never placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. When they die, their spirit leaves their body. That's why they're dead. The body without the spirit is dead, the Bible says. Spirit leaves their body. Their body gets buried. Is that right? So in that aspect, there's no difference then. When a Christian dies, a sinner dies, both their bodies are going to be buried. Is that right? Or cremated or something. Is that correct? But here's the difference. When a sinner dies, somebody that doesn't know Jesus, somebody that's never repented of their sins and placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, when they die, their spirit doesn't go up. The Bible says hell from beneath is moved to meet thee at thy coming. It stirred up the dead for thee. And their spirit goes down, 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 down into a place of infernal. It's an an infernal. It's a fire. It's a place of, of darkness and torment and fire. Do you understand that? Well, I don't want anybody to go to hell. I said, I don't want anybody to go to hell. You know, the dumbest thing anybody ever did is go to hell. Do you know that? You know why? Because you don't have to go to hell. In a moment of time, you can change your eternal destiny to hell, to heaven. How do you do that? By repenting of your sins and placing your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that wonderful? Can you say amen? So what happens to a sinner when they die? Their spirit goes into hell to suffer. We'll talk more about that as we go. So when a Christian dies, all these people in Thessalonica who had died, 
Christians now. Where are their spirits at this time? Their spirits are where? In heaven. So when Jesus comes back, what does he say? What does the Bible say right here? For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have already died. Is that right? So when Jesus comes in the rapture, every Christian, everybody from Adam all the way down to the time of the rapture that's placed there. How did they get saved in the Old Testament? By looking forward to the cross. How do you get saved in the New Testament? By looking back to the, but, but it's Jesus nonetheless. Is that right? So when Jesus comes in the rapture, the Bible is clear. Every Christian, every person who has died with their faith in Jesus, their spirit is going to come back with Jesus. Now watch this. Now watch what happens here. Notice verse 15. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep or those who have already died. For the Lord himself will what? Will descend from where? With a what? With the voice of an archangel and with the what? The trumpet of God. Well, didn't we see a moment ago when, when John was caught up, he heard as a what? A voice as a trumpet. Is that right? So it says right here, verse 16, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the what? With the trumpet of God and the who? And the dead in Christ will rise first. Do you see that? The dead in Christ. Somebody, you know, asked me one time, said, who's, who's going in the rapture? And people want to argue about that. And they want to fuss and fight and argue about that. But the Bible's very clear. Who's going in the rapture? All those who are in in Christ. How many of you know there's nothing you can do or me together on our best day to earn our way into heaven? Is that right? There's nothing you can do to help your salvation out as far as earning your way through the, through the gates of pearl. Is that right? Heaven is a free gift. And the only way to get into heaven is apart from any good works, repent of your sins and place your faith in the Lord Jesus. And in a moment of time, you're translated out of the kingdom of darkness and over into the kingdom of light, over into the kingdom of God's dear son. And in that moment, when you place your faith in Jesus, you get born again and you get placed in Christ. Real loud, say in Christ. In Christ. So the dead in Christ, real loud, say in Christ. So the dead in Christ rise what? Rise First, what does that mean? That means they're, everybody who's already died in Christ, their bodies are going to come out of the graves. If they're cremated, God's somehow going to put their bodies back together. You know, if this wasn't in the Bible, I wouldn't believe it, but it's in the Bible. Pretty bizarre event, but it's in the Bible, and so I believe it. Pastor, that doesn't make sense. How is God going to raise it? I don't know, but he's God, and he's powerful, and it's in his book, and I believe it. The dead in Christ will rise first. Their bodies will be blasted out of the graves. Well, they were cremated. God's going to bring their bodies back together. And they'll be glorified just like the body Jesus got when he was raised from the dead. And then their spirits will go back in to their bodies. Are you okay? Are you all right? That's for those who have already died. The dead in Christ rise first. 
What about you and me if we're still alive when Jesus comes? And I believe we could be. Then we who are alive and remain shall be what? Shall be what? Shall be caught up. We're talking about up, up, and away. Shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. Now, in a moment, we're going to look at, at what's actually going to happen to our bodies. But at this point, we, we who are alive and remain will be what? Caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. I, I don't know about you, but that's comforting to me. You okay? I know this is a pretty bizarre event. And like I said a moment ago, it's so bizarre if it wasn't in the Bible, I'd have trouble believing it. But did, the, did we just read that? So the Lord's coming back. The dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with him to, uh, in, into the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Now, if you want a little bit more on what's going to actually happen to our bodies, because if we're still alive here upon the earth when he comes, go to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50. The Apostle Paul, under the unction of the Holy Ghost, speaking to the church in Corinth, says, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all, what? Now, is that talking about sleeping at night? Is that talking about sleeping in church? No. That's talking about we shall not all experience that physical death. But we shall be what? Changed in a what? In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. There's that trumpet again. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be what? Changed. Did you see that verse 52 is talking about what we just looked at over in that last passage? Notice again verse 52. It says, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be will be raised incorruptible. They'll get their glorified bodies, right? When Jesus comes back, he brings their spirits with them, Christians, and their, their, and, and their bodies are blasted out of the graves or, or if they've been cremated, whatever, he puts their bodies back together, glorified body, their spirits go in, back in their bodies. But what about us? What happens to us? Well, it says right here, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised, what, incorruptible. That means they get their glorified bodies and we shall be what? We shall be what? Changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal put on immortality. You see, if you're born again right now, the spirit of God, if you know Jesus as your savior, your spirit is ready for the presence of God, but your bodies couldn't handle it. My body couldn't handle it. These are natural flesh and blood. Is that right? So this body has to be changed. How many of you know these bodies couldn't go up? How many of you know when you go up in an airplane at a certain altitude, if you're not inside that airplane, your bodies would be, would be destroyed. Is that right? So, so to go up in that altitude, your bodies are going to have to be changed, much less to go into heaven and dwell there. Our bodies are going to have to be changed. And that's going to happen at the rapture of the church. The dead in Christ rise first and then will be changed. 
Wouldn't it be wonderful to be able to cheat the undertaker? How many of you'd like to cheat the undertaker? How many of you's ever been to a funeral and you go in there and you look at the corpse laying in that casket and if you're like me, you think about, I'm glad I'm not in there. Has anybody ever thought that besides me? Well, if we're a Christian, we know we'll be in a better place. Is that right? But still, if you're like me, you've probably wondered about that, haven't you? Wouldn't it be nice to never have to lay in one of those things? Wouldn't that be wonderful? How many would like to get in on that deal? I, I, I'd like to get, I just don't, I just don't. And there's some people, when Jesus comes back, I, I trust we'll be in that company because I trust he comes in our lifetime that we'll be able to cheat the undertaker, so to speak. And our bodies will be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. The Bible said, we'll not all sleep, we'll not all die. But isn't there a scripture that says that it's appointed unto men once to die and after this the judgment? Certainly it says that. But evidently there's, there's an exempt group that isn't going to have to experience physical death. And if you want to just be real technical, I like what one guy said one time because somebody was arguing with him over this. And he said, well, if you want to be technical, when the Lord comes, well, Christians, their bodies will die but they'll be resurrected before they hit the ground. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Can you say amen? Can you say amen? Can you say amen? Praise God forevermore. But you need to realize this is gonna take place in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. The Lord descends from heaven with a shout with the voice of the archangel with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be changed in that moment in that twinkling of an eye in an atomic second and we'll be caught up into the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Can you say amen? Glory to God, that excites me. And if it doesn't excite you, then it should excite you. The Bible says we're supposed to live every day of our life looking forward to the coming of the Lord. Is that right? Every day. Because he could come at any moment. I don't know about you, but I'm glad that the Lord is going to come back and get us out of here before the tribulation period begins. Now, there again, you got a lot of people, they want to argue about that. And, and they want to argue and say, well, pastor, I, I, I believe the church is going to have to go through at least half of the tribulation period. And then you'll have other people that are going to argue that I believe the church is going to have to go through the whole tribulation period. Well, I tell you, you know why I say to those people, be it unto you according to your faith. But I believe from my study, and it's very clear that the Lord is going to come and get us out of here before the tribulation period begins. But I do think Christians, including myself, have made a mistake along these lines. And I believe that if we're not watchful, we can get this escapism mentality. And what I mean by that is, is that we can get this in our heads and in our thinking that the Lord's going to come, and he is. But we can get so caught up on that. The Lord's going to come, and he is. And he's going to get us out of here, and he is. But you can get so caught up on that, that you stop living your everyday life and you stop to realize that he might not come in our lifetime, but I I believe he will, but he might not. But you can get so caught up on that, that you, like we said last week in our message, that you can get to the point where you don't do anything in 
government and in politics and you let the devil come in and take a great country over like he has done here in the United States. Did you hear what I just said? We need to live every day of our life looking for the Lord. We need, to, we, we, need, we need to live as though he's going to come in the next five seconds, but we ought to plan our lives as though he's not going to come in our lifetime. Can you say amen? amen. But some reasons to believe in the pre-tribulation rapture, just listen to these. The Lord says in the word of God that we should pray that we should escape. Why should we, why would he tell us to pray if it wasn't possible? There's another scripture that says God's not appointed us to wrath. He'll deliver us from that time of trouble. The concept of Jesus coming is, the rapture is known as the blessed hope. How could that be hope if we were gonna have to, as a church, go through the tribulation? As I said a moment ago, the church is not mentioned on earth again until the end of the tribulation. Once the church is raptured in Revelation 4.1, it's not seen again in the book of Revelation until after the tribulation is over. Saints, as we'll see as we go, will return with Jesus at the end of the tribulation. We have to get to heaven somehow. How are we going to come back with him riding on the horses if we never got to heaven? Plus, there are some heavenly events that will be missed by the church in heaven if the church was not there. The church needs to be in heaven during the tribulation period because there's heavenly events going on, which we'll talk about in just a moment, that we'll need to be there for. Namely, the marriage supper of the Lamb. Also during the tribulation period, the, churches, the, the Jews are being dealt with here upon the earth, not the church. See, God's dealing with the church right now, but once the church is taken out in the rapture, then he'll deal exclusively with the Jews. How many of you know the, gods are, the Jews are God's chosen people? Say amen. But right now he's, he's primarily working through the church. Once, it, once the church is taken out, then, it, then he'll turn his attention completely on the Jews. Much we could say about that. And then here's something else. The Antichrist can't be released until the church is gone. I said the Antichrist cannot be released until the church is gone. There's no reason to waste time trying to figure out who the Antichrist is because he can't even be released until the church is taken out. How many of you are glad about that? The church need not worry about the mark of the beast, 666, because we'll be taken out, we'll be gone before that's ever released. The Bible is very clear that the man of sin, the son of perdition, cannot be released until the church is taken out. Actually, the church is, what's, is what is restraining the Antichrist from being released. Because the church is in the earth and the Holy Spirit's working through the church, you see, the Antichrist cannot even be released. He cannot be released because we're, the Holy Spirit through us is restraining him. But once the church is taken out of the earth, then the Antichrist will be released. And then he'll come on the scene as a peacemaker. And he'll bring finally bring uh, peace to the Middle East. Uh, although it'll, it'll be short-lived, it'll only be for a, a seven-year period. But here's what I want to say to you. I wouldn't want to be here one five minutes after the church is taken out in the rapture, would you? I said, I wouldn't want to be here one five minutes after the church is taken out in the rapture. And so just some reasons to believe in the pre-trib rapture. So we're caught up to heaven and then the tribulation begins. I'm not going to say much about the tribulation at this time other than I wouldn't want to be here on the earth one five minutes after the tribulation starts. 
It's going to be a time of trouble upon the earth that the earth has never seen. The first three and a half years is going to be bad enough, but the last three and a half years is going to be a time in which you don't want to be here upon the earth. If you're here today, if you're under the sound of my voice and you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, I, I adjure you. I get down on my knees and beg if I could, if, if I knew do it, it make any difference. But you need to come to Jesus Christ. You need to know Jesus Christ. You see, to people that are already saved and know the Lord Jesus teaching on the end times should be encouraging and uplifting. But people that don't know Jesus as their savior, it ought to send fear through you from the top of your head to the soles of your feet to the point that you can't sleep at night until you come to Christ and make him your Lord and savior. Can anybody say amen? Now, once the church is caught up into heaven, there's going to be a marriage supper of the Lamb. And it's going to be a great time and a wonderful event and a wonderful party. You haven't been to a party until you've been to one that God has thrown. But there's going to be something that happens before the marriage supper of the Lamb. And it's found in 2 Corinthians 5.10. Go with me if you would. We're talking now about after the church has been caught up into heaven. The tribulation has begun upon the earth. We've been caught up into the presence of God. Our bodies have been changed. We have the glorified bodies. And there's going to be a great party that's going to ensue, but there's going to be something that happens before that great marriage supper of the Lamb. Notice 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10. It's being written to Christians. This is to Christians now. For we must all appear before what? the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. You need to realize this, dear friends. Our entrance into heaven is a free gift. Realize, say, free gift. gift. Nothing we can do to earn it. But there are things we can do as Christians to earn rewards once we're there. It's clear in the Bible rewards can be won and obtained and rewards can be lost. But talking to Christians here, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Verse 11, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. How many of you know the Lord is good? How many of you know the Lord is merciful? How many of you know the Lord is wonderful? How many of you know the Lord is forgiving? Yes, he is. But the Bible also says to consider, therefore, the goodness and the severity of the Lord. You know there is a judgment side to God. And you must realize that for us Christians, uh, we must never appear before the judgment seat of Christ as it pertains to heaven and hell. Why is that? Because Jesus was judged at Calvary some 2,000 years ago as our substitute, as our Savior. Can you say amen? amen? But there is a judgment for Christians which I believe will take place right after the rapture of the church, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, if you were to die right now as a Christian, the Bible says it's appointed unto men once to die after this, the judgment. If you as a Christian were to die right now, it's appointed unto you once to die. And after this, I believe you were to die right now as a Christian, you go to heaven and you're judged at the judgment seat of Christ. And then you get to enter into the goodness of the Lord. When a sinner dies, what did we say a moment ago? Their spirit comes out of their body. It's appointed unto people once to die. And after this, the judgment, they go into into a place called hell to suffer, you see. It's appointed unto men once to die. And after this, the judgment. 
But in, in the context of the judgment seat of Christ, knowing therefore, verse 11, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord. Realize, say, terror of the Lord. Terror of the Lord, we persuade men. What does that mean? See, a lot of times people look at this and he thinks he's talking about, about hell in verse 11. He's, not, he's talking about the judgment seat of Christ. Did you know there's going to be fire at the judgment seat of Christ? It's not going to be the fire of hell, but it's going to be the fire of the Lord to test our works, to see what kind of works we had here upon the earth. Can your works win your salvation into heaven? No, but your works can either obtain reward, crowns of reward, other things that could be mentioned, and your works can also suffer loss. And you see verse 11 here says, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. That means that as I stand before Christians, I'm supposed to warn you that there's a judgment seat coming and it's gonna be a time of great reward and great blessing, but it's also gonna be a time of great loss and great travail and great sorrow. Notice if you would, 1 Corinthians Corinthians 3, verse 11. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 11. Notice this if you would. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 11. Notice this. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 11. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. How many of you know he's the way we get into heaven, period? Now, if anyone builds on this foundation, that's talking about our works. With gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by what? By what? By fire and the fire. That's not the fires of hell. That's the fire of God here. The fire will test each one's work. We could say it this way. Each Christian's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on that foundation endures, he'll receive a what? A reward. There's crowns of reward. Also, you can see that when the millennium starts, that Jesus is going to not only will there be crowns of reward, but he's also going to give authority to cities, to to certain of his saints who have been faithful here upon the earth. To one he might give authority, ten cities. To another, five, whatever the case. See, at the judgment seat of Christ, I, I, I always think about it like this. You know, somebody that's been faithful to work in the children's church and teach a handful of children on Sunday morning, they've been faithful to do, to do that year in, year out, year in, year out. When they go before the judgment seat of Christ, Jesus is going to reward them for that. He might just give them authority over 10 cities in the millennium. Just because you were faithful to do the gardening at the church or to, to, to serve in children's church or to be a faithful usher or something like that. Notice again, verse 13, each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he's built on it endures, he'll receive a reward. But if anyone's work is burned, what's he talking about here? People, Christians now who have been unfaithful. Christians who were supposed to be, who they, they volunteered to do something at the church and then they didn't follow through on it. He's talking about people here now, Christians now who were gossips, Christians now who were backbites, Christians that, 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 that were always backbiting, gossiping, Christians that, 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 that always had a negative word, Christians that don't have a good attitude, Christians that have a judgmental attitude. How many of you know you ought to judge the word of God that I preach, but you shouldn't be judgmental of me in a negative way? Can you say amen? And this is all going to come up at the judgment seat of Christ. Isn't it good to know if we've sinned here as Christians and we've missed it and we repent of that sin and ask Jesus to forgive us and confess it, did you know that will never come up at the judgment seat of Christ? Say amen. 
But things that we haven't dealt with here upon the earth, sins and things that we haven't taken care of, works that have been lackadaisical and lethargic and loose and loose living, all of this, I'm talking to Christians now, uh, it's going to come up at the judgment seat of Christ and the fire of God is going to judge us. And if anyone's work, verse 14, endure, he'll receive a reward. But if anyone's work is burned, he'll suffer what? He'll suffer loss, but he himself will be saved even as through the fire. So you see, there's going to be some Christians that come up before the judgment seat of Christ and they're going to be judged and their works haven't been good. Their works are going to be burned, but they won't go to hell. How many of you know that beats going to hell, doesn't it? And they'll still be saved, but what does that mean? They just won't have any rewards to go and lay at Jesus' feet and worship him with. I don't know about you, but I want, I, I want some rewards, don't you? So I warn you today. I persuade you today as a Christian, live right, live holy, walk right. None of us are perfect, but we ought to endeavor to live right and walk right before Almighty God. Is that right? Can you say amen? Now, as I conclude the message, just give me a few more moments here. We'll conclude at the end of the seven-year tribulation period. Because there's that judgment seat of Christ. There's a marriage supper of the Lamb. At the end of the seven-year tribulation period, the armies of the earth will be gathered into the valley of Megiddo in the Middle East in Israel to fight Jesus and his army from heaven. Then at that time, at the end of the tribulation period, Jesus will come in his second coming. His feet will touch down on the Mount of Olives. He'll fight the battle of Armageddon and he'll utterly defeat the armies of the Antichrist and blood will flow for 200 miles, five feet deep. But at the end of that war, at the end of that battle, the Antichrist, the devil will be defeated. Can you say amen? Amen. The Antichrist and the false prophet, that's his religious guru, will be cast into the lake of fire for eternity and Satan will be locked in the bottomless pit for a thousand years. Real loud, say amen. Amen. For how many years did I say? A thousand years. And that's during the millennial reign of Christ. Jesus in that hour and that time for a thousand years will reign supreme in Jerusalem with a rod of iron. And there will be righteousness upon the earth in that time. At the end of that thousand years, Satan will be released for a little season. The Bible says that he'll go out and get a large amount of people to follow him. Now, let me just take a moment on this because I feel impressed to the spirit of God to do so. After a thousand years of Jesus reigning upon the earth known as a millennium and at the end of that thousand years, Satan is released from the bottomless pit for a short while and he goes out and deceives and multitudes of people follow him. Why do you think that is? Well, the devil goes out, his number one tool against us is deception. As I study my Bible, During the millennial reign of Christ, when he's reigning from Jerusalem, you'll have to follow everyone upon the earth. See, we'll be here as his administrators and we'll be here as his governors and all of that. And there'll be natural people upon the earth. I don't have time to get into all that. But here's the deal. During that thousand years, you'll have to follow his civil rule. He rules with a rod of iron. You'll have to obey speed limits and that sort of thing. No stealing, no cheating. He'll get you if you cheat at old maid. You can't do it during the millennium. No cheating at Monopoly or any of that. You understand? 
but you will not have to go to Jerusalem to worship him. God never makes anybody worship him. The devil will try to make you worship him, but God will never make you worship him. It's always voluntary. And the Bible is clear that during the millennium, there's going to be a vast number of people that are not going to go to Jerusalem to worship him. Listen to this. When you refuse to come to worship Jesus, when you refuse to come to the house of God, guess what? When you don't come to the house of God, you don't get to hear the word of God on a regular basis. Is that right? And thus you open yourself up to deception. And I believe that's what's going to happen during that thousand years. There's going to be a lot of people that go up there and worship him. And the Bible says they'll have rain upon their crops and all of that. You know, it pays to serve God. It pays to come to church. It pays to obey God. I said, well, I don't, have to, I don't have to go to church every week. Well, doesn't the Bible say not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together? You know, there's a certain blessing you can get from coming to the church that God has called you to that you can't get any other way. Is that right? And remember, you don't choose your pastor. You let God choose your pastor. You don't choose, you don't go, well, I just like it there. No, you go where God tells you to go and you stay until he tells you to leave. Did you hear me? I said, did you hear me? But these people by the multitudes are, I don't have time to go up and worship Jesus. Man, you don't have time not to go worship Jesus. I'm not going to go worship Jesus. Well, when the end of that thousand years is up, the devil will be released. He'll go out to deceive and he'll deceive as it is the multitudes and they'll come against Jesus. And at that time, fire from God comes down from heaven and destroys him. And then Satan is defeated ultimately and cast in the lake of fire for eternity. Can you say amen? I'm going to close in Revelation 20. Let's go there. I've preached a little longer today, but I haven't come today with three points and a poem. I've come today with an assignment from God to get something across to you. Now, how many of you would rather have the word of God preached under the anointing of, of God than to have me standing up here under the, an entertainment spirit entertaining you with three points and a poem? I know about you, but I'd rather have the spirit of God and the word of God. Can you say amen? amen. Revelation 20 verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne. This is at the end of the millennial reign. This right here where we close our message today. See the judgment seat of Christ is for Christians. This judgment here happens at the end of the millennium. Just before we move out into eternity which never ends. There's going to be one final judgment. And it's called the great white throne judgment. And it's for everybody who did not receive Jesus Christ. Everybody that neglected the Lord Jesus. Do you know I believe to neglect to receive him is the same as to reject him. I believe to neglect is to reject. Notice here Revelation 20 verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. There was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what? According to their works. This is as it pertains to heaven and hell now. They didn't, they didn't accept Jesus' work. So if you won't accept Jesus' work, now you have to stand before God according to your own works. By the things which were written in the books, and the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell or Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. What does that mean? That means, what did we say a while ago when a sinner dies? Their spirit leaves their body. Where does their spirit go? Into hell. And that's like the local jail. 
and their spirits held there in torment until this time when their spirit comes up out of hell and stands before God and they must give an account. The hell that's in existence right now is like the local jail, but what we're talking about now, this ultimate destination for those who reject Jesus is like the federal penitentiary. Verse 13, and the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged according to their own works. Then death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Now this, what we just read, does not apply to Christians. As I said, it applies to those who will not receive Jesus Christ. The Bible talks about some of the people mentioned at this this judgment, the unrighteous, the wicked, the sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, fornicators, homosexuals, thieves, greedy, drunkards, slanderers, swindlers, liars, everyone who rejected or neglected the Lord Jesus. I sure don't want anyone to have to go before this. There's only one way to escape this and that's to repent of your sins now and make Jesus the Lord of your life. After this great white throne judgment, then the Bible says that the heavens and the earth will be renovated by fire. It'll be a new heaven and a new earth, not new in that it's never existed before, but new in that it's renovated. Just like you get a house. How many of you know this, this, this earth is full of sin right now, isn't it? And that sin all has to be burned up and done away with. And the earth is going to be renovated by fire, not flooded again. God promised he'd never flood it again, but it's going to be renovated by fire in the heavens. And there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. And the Bible says that the throne of God is going to then come down. Once, this, once all those that reject Jesus have been cast in the lake of fire, the earth is renovated by fire. And then the throne of God comes down and God dwells upon the earth for eternity and eternity and eternity without end. Can you say Amen. The only way to make that is to know Jesus as your Savior. Stand with me, if you would, in the presence of a holy God. Hallelujah.